Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and today we're talking to the visionary business success story and entrepreneur, Sean Bradley. Sean V. Bradley, also known as the millionaire car salesman, is a great example of what a person is truly capable of achieving. Sean's life story is the ultimate message of hope. He was born into poverty, violence, and abuse in Queens, New York, and his childhood led him to a boys' home, gangs, and eventually federal prison. But he was determined to be more than a statistic and against all odds, which is the name of his podcast. He left prison and built a huge life and business, becoming a multi, multi-millionaire. First in the automotive world, then he expanded into a whole bunch of companies. He's a best-selling author, a major speaker in the National Speakers Association. He's absolute total proof that anyone can do anything he or she puts their mind to when they have a vision, work hard, and choose not to be a victim of their circumstances. He's always full of advice on how you can achieve, maintain, and grow your success beyond your wildest dreams. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Sean. Hello, hello, hello. This is SVB in the place to be. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. You are this huge success today, long-term marriage, four kids. How did you get your motivation for business? Where did that come from, given your tenuous upbringing? Oh, man. I've been hustling since I was a little kid. So that's a question I get asked a lot. It's a really good question. Is it something that I learned? I think it was innate. I think it was in me. Like I was hustling since I was six years old. I mean, no, no exaggeration. So as a little kid, it was not uh, legal. But what I would do is uh, in New York City, I'm sure like all over the country, kids have these cookies or candy sale uh, catalogs. And I had this idea because I was broke that, you know, let me just use these old catalogs, go to a different town. So I would jump in like on a, on a subway or a train and, and go to the town over and start selling the candy. And sometimes they give me checks, but it was mostly cash. I just throw out the checks because I wasn't cashing the checks and I would just keep the money. So I've been hustling since I was a little kid. That there, There's the nurture nature thing, huh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Okay. So I mean, I know you were sent to a boy's home and we won't go through how yeah, horrific okay. your, your childhood. Okay. So go ahead. Yeah, so so I, I grew up a little bit different than like what I'd say normal people experience. Uh, it was, it was severe violence. You know, my stepfather was, well, first of all, my father was never really there. Absentee, you know, father, deadbeat dad, the, the stereotypical stuff. He used to abuse my mom, but like I was too young for it to be me. I just suffered the neglect, but my stepdad was an ex-Marine. He would torture me and my mother. He used to shoot my mother up with heroin, chain her to the bed, just like crazy stuff. Corporal punishment, have me standing with my hands against the wall or squatting with my palms up. You know, he, he threatened to kill me before and the New York police department, they don't have a SWAT, but they have a special, um, it's ESU emergency, emergency special unit or emergency services unit. That's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like the equivalent of SWAT in New York city. And so they had to come extract me out of the house with my mother and we were on the run. So it was just crazy. So that was my life. It was, it was, it was violence. It was poverty. It was neglect. It was just craziness. My mom was emotionally disturbed and she was abused you know, throughout her life. So not making excuses for her, but she was like a bipolar mother. One minute she was, you know, I love you. And the next minute she was like, mommy dearest, just crazy. You know, she didn't really want to deal with me and she wasn't equipped to deal with me. So she 
had me evaluated and I had, you know, uh, anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress as a young kid, ADHD, emotionally disturbed, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So they, they, I went, I went to a boy's home called Bonnie Bray in North Jersey. It was supposed to be there for 18 months. It was, it turned out to be three years. And then when I got out, I was 15 years old. I was just steady into trouble. I was, man, I was selling bulletproof vests to crack dealers in Queens, clone cell phones, counter for money. I got deep into the rave scene. You know, when I was 18 years old, I got arrested by the Secret Service, the DEA, uh, the Bayshore Task Force, and the Woodbridge Police. I got hit by four agencies within 18 months. I winded up, I, I wound up pleading guilty, but I had a super lawyer, which I'll I could elaborate on if you want, because you're an attorney. Uh, matter of fact, yeah, I'm going to go into it. So my attorney is Lee Ginsburg. Lee Ginsburg is one of the most famous yeah, federal death penalty attorneys in the country. That's yeah. my, that's the, that's my, my attorney and has become a very good friend. And he was one of my mentors. He, he saved my life. You know, I, I wound up pleading guilty to 10 years. I had a four flat in the state, a three, a three flat in the state, a two year, and then a one year consecutive in the feds. I wound up doing three straight years from May of 1996 to May, 1999. And when you were in prison, I mean, that's federal prison. Well, I, sort of. Right? I, I, I wound up doing two years in the feds, but remember I had two state cases, so I had to do a pretrial. So I was in Middlesex County and Monmouth County. I didn't have to go to state prison, but I was in a medium security federal prison. So I, I was in a country club at Fort Dix, which was low. Yeah. But then I was in like, you know, Gladiator School, you know, in, in the medium security at Allenwood Penitentiary, which was kind of crazy. So I experienced both. A validated gang member in TF, which is Together Forever. And uh, again, those are the crowns from Latin Kings. Yeah, it's just crazy, man. So I was involved deep in, in gang stuff before prison and, you know, mostly in prison. Before I got to prison, I was just an associate, but I became a full-fledged gang member in prison when I was 19 years old in MDC, Brooklyn. Yeah, man, I've been in, into like, like, you know, wars, you know, with Latin Kings, Nietas, you know, in state, like just in the county, just over crazy stuff. Yeah. Nutty life. Do you help rehabilitate gang members now? That's recent. Okay. So to, to put the trajectory into this one, when, when I came out of prison, as you mentioned, I didn't have a lot of options. I sucked as a waiter. And so that yeah. didn't work out. My friend told me that I should sell cars. And I'm like, and this is a funny story. Is okay. That, so wait, what friend? Because here you are in prison and everyone, you know, is probably a criminal. So, it, yeah, yeah, no, so he, he was, he was, uh, he was one of my, my really close friends. He's the one that, that got me involved in the club scene. His name is Billy V. We'll just leave him as Billy V real name, you know, Billy V. And, uh, when I went to jail, he, he, I, I, I protected him and, my my crew of people like I like they never got they never got touched with the the case you know what I mean so there's three main people that were very close to me and then there was three really close people with their New York so it was it's weird like I lived in Jersey but like at that point but I was from New York I lived most of my life in New York and I did most of this crazy stuff these are New York federal cases and stuff so when I went to jail everybody like like, like they, they just forget that you're alive after the first like couple weeks, couple months. Oh my God. And then it wears off and then their life kicks in. But when I came home, I think, I think Billy felt bad that he, he wasn't there for the whole three years that I was in prison. And so when I came home, I moved in with him and uh, he was still a criminal, you know, but I was working at food town and it really, at first, for the first couple of weeks, it was awesome. Like, like I, I a grocery a store. 
Yeah, yeah. I was the deli guy. I was slinging like ham and cheese and things like that. But, and, you know, being 22 years old and after doing three straight years in prison, it, I felt like I was like Steve Jobs, you know what I mean? Cause I wasn't in prison anymore. But then it wore out because I lived with a drug dealer. Billy was a drug dealer. And so, so you wait, know, did you have a drug habit during any of this time or no? Hmm. Did I do a lot of drugs? Yes. When okay. I was a kid, I was in the rave scene. So I was, I was really into like the, the, the underground deep New York city rave scene. There's two types of ravers. There's the, the candy ravers we used to call them, which they, they, they suck on pacifiers and, and like, they have like, you know, hello kitty type stuff. That's not me. Like I was the dark hoodie, you know, like XK underground. I'm a B-boy. Like I, I'm a New York city break dancer, like, like real sick B-boy. And it was about, uh, drugs, techno, house music, and just the whole vibe. So yeah, like I did a lot of drugs, like part of my case, like I pled guilty to 2000 pills of ecstasy, but I used to import 10,000 pills of ecstasy from Amsterdam. I was doing flight routes at, at 18 years old. And so I don't know if you heard, but I just got picked up for season two of Vice TV's uh, hit show. I was a teenage felon. So um, my story of my life is going to be on season two. I actually, sh I've been in pre-production for the last month. Next month, I'm, I'm shooting, well, actually in May, I'm going to be shooting in New York City, the episode, and they're doing a full hour, like the recreations, all that stuff, and it's going to air in the fall. So my case, I'm in two books, Clubland Confidential, Chemical Cowboy. I'm in a major movie called Limelight Already about my case. And so I'm not exaggerating. Like when I was telling you 18 years old, we we're pushing, you know, multi-million dollar packages of ecstasy in the New York City nightclubs and the club scene. So going from that, right? You know, like that crazy life, boom, I'm in prison for three years. Crazy stuff is going on, which you get into if you want to, it doesn't really matter. But then when I came home, I was a deli boy and I was, I was loving it. I was like, man, this is awesome. Like I'm out of jail. But then after like a couple of weeks, I'm seeing my friend, like eating a bowl of Cheerios, like at a TV, like he's eating a bowl of Cheerios, all these girls coming over the house and he's making like 10 times more money than I am. And I'm slinging meat. So that didn't work. That didn't go well. So I went back to Brooklyn and I re-upped. And I started selling drugs again when I came home for, I'd say, probably like a couple months. And I don't know what happened. I, you know, I do have faith, but I'm not, you know, preaching, you know, the Bible and stuff like that. I don't know if it's the universe, dumb luck or, or God or whatever you want to call it. Something happened where I just said enough. And I literally left uh, Keensburg, New Jersey. And I went to Red Bank, which is a really, really beautiful, it's like, it's like New York City for one block in Monmouth County by the Navasink River. And I, I had, I'll never forget, I had a backpack, I had a thousand dollars cash and I had a Walkman and that was it. And, I, and this is the, the, the crazy part of the story is that I try to rent a room, you know, and, and start my life over. And it turned out that I got, I got kind of like hustled. It wasn't a room. I wind up renting a couch. Because I apply, I, I responded to it. I, I literally rented a couch for $500 a month, a couch in Red Bank, but it was location, location, location. I was in a beautiful city and it was great. And uh, I, I was a waiter at the Broadway diner. I sucked at that. So my friend, the drug dealer, he also, you know, uh, went back and forth in the automotive industry. He said, Sean, you should, you should really sell cars. You'd crush it. And so they gave me a demo. A demo is a company car. So here I am, an ex-convict, ex-gang member. They're going to give me a $30,000 Mazda Millennia. I'm like, let's go. And uh, I started selling cars. Uh, it was like a fish to water. I first month on the floor, salesman of the month, salesman of the year, crushing it within a year. I got promoted to a manager and I was just doing like shattering records. And at this time, this is 1999, when, like when I came home for prison and I, I told you after a couple months, I started selling cars. The 
internet was invented in the automotive industry in 1995 by a publicly traded company called Auto Bytel, which they now are called AutoWeb, which is one of my sponsors right now. It's kind of crazy. So long story short, I start really like at the perfect time when this whole internet thing started happening. I started because I was at that point, I was only 22, 23 years old and nobody really knew how to leverage internet and email. So I basically uh, taught myself everything from web development to search engine optimization, to video optimization, to digital, you know, marketing by trial and error. And just how did you know, how did you know to do this? I didn't have a choice because I worked at a car dealership. So I had a psychopathic manager that said, you need to make me a website or I'm going to blow you out of here. So I, this is, so I'm, I'm on the phone with Microsoft in 2000 and I'm like talking to the help desk. I'm like, look, this is where I had the software front page 2000. This is all true stuff. Right. So I'm like, look, you don't understand. I need this job. So I need you to figure out how I can design websites. And so from page 2000 was, is what's called a, is an editor. It's an HTML editor. So it's like click and paste type stuff. But mm-hmm. then as I learned this stuff, I picked it up really easy because it's Forrest Gump simple. Then I started to understand HTML. And then I, I started studying, you know, hypertext markup language. Then I started studying dynamic HTML. And then I started getting into, you know, search engine optimization and keyword forensics. And then I basically started taking classes classes and I got certified by the International Academy on, on search engine optimization, like in the early, early 2000s. And so just one thing, curiosity, curiosity. So by, as I'm doing all this digital stuff, I'm reading everything from the seven habits of highly effective people. I became a, a certified trainer in Franklin Covey's, the seven habits and the five choices of extraordinary productivity. I put myself into Toastmasters. I put myself in the National Speakers Association. Okay. So wait, why did you go into Toastmasters and Speakers Association from there. You you're, already, the- you're already selling cars. You're the salesperson. Why there? Simple. Like my whole life is like, why am I going to just sell a hundred pills of ecstasy or 50 pills of ecstasy and then have three or four different middle people if I could go to Amsterdam and go to the source and, pr- and, and press my own pills and eliminate that, you know, the middle person is if I want the highest quality ish and the highest quality product to be able to yield the highest, you know, caliber consumer uh, again and have the highest owner retention, you know, that's what I wanted to do is for, for me to really crush automotive sales. If you think about it, if you're a musician, what do you do? You've got to practice your, your craft of, of piano. You've got to turn around and practice, practice, practice. See, as a sales professional, the skill is communications, it's speech, it's speaking, it's tone, it's inflection. Toastmasters is a gym for, you know, for professional wannabe speakers. The NSA is the NFL of paid professional speakers. So again, if I wanted to be the best at my craft, I don't do anything half ass. I don't do anything, you know, uh, at, at a small piece since I was a kid. If I'm going to be, uh, you know, if I'm going to get arrested, I'm not going to get arrested by like the county sheriff. I'm going to get arrested by the like DEA and secret service. You know what I mean? Because I'm, if I'm going to risk my life and risk time, you're an attorney. Why am I going to do basic shit? I'm going to turn around and, and really, you know, put my all into it. And, and that goes for whatever I was doing, including speaking and communicating in sales. That makes sense. So, I mean, did you have role models growing up that were yeah. on the straight and narrow or? No, 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 no. You said role models. Yes. I, I, know, I know, I know. Gangsters, <laughs> drug dealers. I'm from yeah. Queens and Brooklyn, girl. You don't understand. Yeah, You're right, right. like, like, you know, I, I got to be careful what I say still, but yeah. I am Belizean, first generation in this country on my, mom, on my dad's side, but my mother is Sicilian. 
And so I grew up understanding, you know, people from the neighborhood in Bensonhurst, um, Bath Avenue and stuff like that. These, these, these streets ring bells, you know what I mean? Mulberry Street in, in Little Italy. And so, you know, to me, those were forget Michael Jordan and like, you know, like all the you know, Steve Jobs, man. Now, like it's 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 George Zapola, you know, Capo's little Lucchese family. It's it's Carlo Gambino Jr. I mean, that's who my role models were, you know, street gangsters that were there, like, you know, in Queens and in Brooklyn. So Italian organized crime, you know, crack dealers, people that I can relate to because I had no even I, I can't even fathom, you know, having a conventional career and being uh, of substance when I was a kid. My my the transition happened when I was in prison, and this is uh, this is all documented if you do a little research on me. So when I was I, I studied Russian at Rider University. That's a whole other subject, but you know, I speak in and I can read and write and speak Russian pretty well. I could definitely probably read and write better than I could speak. It's been a while, but. Um, I learned Russian at Ryder. I was a Russian major in cultural anthropology minor as I was at Ryder University. And so when I went to prison in the feds, I had become friends with one of the highest ranking Russian organized crime people that the United States has ever seen. And so you could do a little research. The case was Naponchuk Ivankov in 1996. Uh, we were in MDC Brooklyn together. So Vladimir Topko uh, was on the case. He was a co-defendant to Naponchuk Ivankov, which is the highest ranking Russian ever ever in the United States soil. I talk about like Siberian prison type stuff. So we became really good friends. And so here I am half Italian kid in federal prison. So I was like the liaison between the Italians and the Russians when I was in, in the feds. And so this guy, a former card carrying member of the communist party. He served, uh, served under two Soviet presidents. He was my first role model. He basically told me at 19 years old that I should not be doing what I'm doing, that I'm too smart to be doing what I was doing. And this guy was teaching me Russian. So I learned about a year's worth of Russian like every day, like obsessing. And it's funny. Uh, Cause I just did this interview with the producers from vice TV. And so this is like the actual book that I had. And so this is, you see that number four, six, seven, four, three, that's zero five. That's my federal ID number. And this is like my yearbook. Like everybody was signing when I was leaving like here. And this is my Russian book. That's in Cyrillic that I would read and study with this Russian guy. So anyway, he's the one that kind of put me like on the, the, the narrow, you know, the straight and narrow and, and got my mind thinking about macroeconomics and international trade and things like that. But I gotta, I gotta confess when I was in prison, I didn't use my time wisely. Like I was, I was, I was banging. Yeah, you know, I was, I was, you know, ganged up in TF, and uh, I was hanging around with knuckleheads. And and I was so young, I was 19 years old at 22. So I used that, like getting a master's degree in criminology. Like I learned shit that I had, I, I didn't know about. Like you know, like I had my hustle, and I'd learn from all these other like criminals in the feds. I was making connects from people from the Medellin, you know, like in Colombia, just real stuff. Cause I thought I was going to get out and, and just be this kingpin person, you know, cause I was so angry. I lost all these years of my life. I was going to, I was going to get it back with reparations. It was after I came home that all the lessons I got from some really smart people in prison. It, so it wasn't during prison and, and, and I didn't educate myself in, in all this cubby stuff and the, the secret and rich dad poor dad. I didn't do any of that until after I came home, but it, it definitely played a, a part in my subconscious because I, 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 re, I retain the information. I just didn't utilize it until after I was back home. Oh, that's so interesting. You just said the secret, somebody else that I just interviewed 
where they said, oh yeah, totally believe in the secret. And thousand percent. Yeah. No, I just, I just did a room on Clubhouse on manifestation and in the, in the Hope Club and, and so on. Yeah. So Napoleon yeah, Hill, think and grow rich. well, a whole bunch of things. So Napoleon Hill, think and grow rich, run and burn mm-hmm. the secret. Those are more transcendental in my opinion. But again, as an advanced Covey facilitator and trainer, Dr. Covey talks about, you know, again, things have to be created twice, first mentally and then physically. What you can visualize, you have a higher probability of it materializing. So whether you want to call it the laws of attraction or you want to call it the seven habits, uh, again, there's so many smarter people than I am, way smarter than me, that that have been doing the secret uh, way before. Another person that's it's a big influence of me that I met only recently, a couple of years ago, is named Weldon Long. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He wrote a book called The Upside of Fear. This guy did 13 years in prison. And uh, he left, came home and, and made this $20 million a year, uh, you know, empire as a sales and motivational speaker. Dr. Stephen Covey actually wrote the forward of his book. And, you know, he talks about deeply manifestation for the last seven years of his prison sentence, Weldon, you know, uh, created a vision board and, and talked about, you know, mission, vision, values. And for seven years, this, this deadbeat, you know, uh, street urchin, if you will, which he'd call himself, this criminal, lifetime career criminal that was just a thug, you know, spent his last seven years as a bid with uh, his vision board in his cell, like, like you know, uh, secured to his wall with toothpaste. He would say things that I am, you know, uh, an amazing father. I am the CEO of a multi-million dollar business and all these, these morning rituals. And then fast forward, he's got a house in Maui. He's got a house in Colorado. He's a New York Times bestselling author. And it's just, he's got a dream life. I mean, it just doesn't just happen by accident. If you, you, if you don't live a life by design, you're living a life by default, which doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. So how did you really get, you have so many businesses. How did you take, here you are, you're looking up how to do a website, how the SEOs and, you know, you're not going to stay working for this guy who said, get me a website or you're out of here. How did you take that and catapult it? to all the businesses you have today. Okay, so let's go through it. So I spent about five years on the front lines. So I, I incorporated my, my, my first company, Dealer Synergy, in April 13th. So next month will be 17 years that I've owned this company. So let's put that, that's also something that, there's so many people that change companies like Katy Perry changes clothes. Like I've owned a bunch of companies, but my main company I've owned for 17 straight years. I've been with my wife and she's my second wife. I've been with this woman for 14 years. And I believe in consistency and, and continuity, you know. Congratulations, is, because uh, I know that wasn't modeled for you. So that's really like, oh, admirable. Thank you. Uh, I'll get into the ex-wife because I think your, your listeners need to hear this part too in a second. But to answer your question is that after five years uh, of becoming a subject matter expert and a Leviathan in my industry for automotive internet sales and BDC, here's what happened. In 2003, I was working at Cherry Hill Nissan in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is the number one Nissan dealership in the Northeast region of the United States. I was making close to 160000 I'm a car guy, so I round up. So it's probably about like 154, but car people like to say 160, right? So if I was making a $154,000 
in a year, think about this, that dealership, I have to be making at least 700 to 800 K gross or be responsible for my department to make that much money for them to even entertain paying my ex-convict ass, you know, $154,000. And I was tired of the BS. So I was thinking, okay, if I could make these people, you know, 700 to $800,000 in, in a year, why am I doing it for them? Why am I building this person's life and this person's future? That's stupid. And I was like, again, then at the very least, I could at least make what I'm making right now, a buck 55, a buck 60, you know, without much effort. And so it wasn't hard for me. Remember, I used to sell bulletproof vests to crack deals in Queens. I used to push counterfeit money. I used to, you know, sell, you know, thousands and thousands of pills of ecstasy. I, I, I'm a street hustler at, at, a, at a supreme level. So I'm thinking, man, this is, this is light work. Let's run it. And so I started the company the first, I didn't even, cause remember it's April. So I was four months in, I'll never forget the first year. Uh, it wasn't even a full year. I only had eight months. I made like 70 something thousand. And that's not bad for, for, you know, the first year, not even full year. Uh, the second year I, I broke over a hundred and something thousand. I forgot what the number is on my, on my third year, on my second full year. Okay. So it's my technically my third year, but my second full year, I broke over a million dollars. Like within three years, I, I had over a million dollar plus business in my third full year. I personally became a, a millionaire myself. And then it just started flipping. So we have multiple companies. So we have dealer synergy, which is a, it's a global company. It's mostly national, but I've, I've had clients in Russia, Canada, Guam, you know, all over, you know, mostly United States, but international. What do I do for a living? And it's really important for your, your listeners to understand is that for a living for 17 years, my clients have never been individual people. My clients are either multi-billion, multi-million and or publicly traded companies. What I do for a living is I help multi-million, multi-billion dollar businesses make more millions and millions of dollars. Officially, I've generated over $1.2 billion in additional revenue for my clients. These are huge car dealerships. One of my clients right now is the Coons Automotive Group. It's a $2.5 billion dealer group with 19 rooftops in Virginia and in Maryland. So if you think of it that way, like my confidence is there. I mean, like I was making stupid money as a kid, as an adult, I'm making even more. So how can I, how can I make more? And so part of my, my handicap is part of my success, which let me explain. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm a street kid. I'm a street kid. I'm a car salesman. Now, what I know now, I don't know if I would ever had the gall to do what I did. Like, let me start a business. I started Dealer Synergy with with $1,000 cash and a dream. I had a couple partners that I sold like 20% of my company, but I was smart enough to rebuy that, like, you know, like give them back their money and and a small profit, like, like, you know, a decade and a half ago. You know what I mean? And oh my God, like, it's worth it so much now. Like, I just was smart. And I had, there's another resource I got from prison. There was a guy named Leo Mangan. This I could use his name. He got arrested by the SEC for like $46 million of stock and security fraud. So Leo Mangan in 1990, I met him in 1996. So his case would have been like 94, 96 or whatever it was. And he was advising me about business and, and things like that. And he hooked me up with his accountant, which is from Strong Island, from Long Island. Uh, shout out to my guy, Damian Booth. He's been my accountant for 17 years. I didn't have a financial planner, but I listened to the accountant. I listened to, you know, the different moves that he told me to make. So for example, when to incorporate, you know, uh, different entities, when to buy commercial real estate instead of, you know, leasing in Philadelphia, buy a commercial building in South Jersey and and things like that. So to go through the list of the companies, Dealer Synergy is the big one. 
Second is I have a company called Bradley On Demand. It's a video on demand training, tracking, testing certification platform on the Lightspeed platform. So I've got, it's a $6 million product that I spent 6 million cash on building. I've got over 6,300 training modules for the entire automotive industry. I'm partners with Grant Cardone on his Cardone On Demand. Next company is I got a conference, the Internet Sales 20 Group Conference. For the last 14 years, I've been making millions and millions of dollars doing like a, an annual event where it's like a three-day Lollapalooza, but for the top speakers in the automotive industry. So I charge sponsors a lot of money and I charge dealers a lot of money to go to it. So I get the cheeseburgers and the cows. I also have a software development company called Syntech, which stands for Synergy Technology. And so no exaggeration. If uh, I've been I've been building it for six years, I've got about a half a million dollars cash into it. I give up twenty five percent of the company, but when it's done, which will be in the next six months, I, I think that in three to five years, I should be able to get that company acquired for ninety plus million dollars. It's it's a pretty advanced software product. I own Bradley Property Management. We have six properties between commercial and real estate. And so it's a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio. So I have equity, passive income coming through. And I just invested in Grant Cardone's Cardone Capital. I just gave him a hundred thousand dollar check about a month ago on the air on my radio show. So between investing in Cardone Capital and my own Bradley property management, I have a, a nice, you know, substantial real estate portfolio. Uh, I'm a best-selling author for Googleopoly. So my book Yeah, that was gonna be one of my questions. So this is cool. This is the, this is the Chinese version. So I, my, my book is in multiple languages. So this is in Cantonese and, and here, so I'm, I'm not self, I'm actually signed to a multi-billion dollar publishing company, which is Wiley. So again, I'm an official best-selling author and my book has nothing to do with automotive. My book has to do with advanced digital marketing, video search engine optimization, and how to, you know, really dominate Google to drive traffic. So do you keep updating that? I have not because it's strategy. I'm, I'm, I'm an advanced marketer. So again, here's what, and it worked. So the whole, like when I got this book deal, it's because I'm in the National Speakers Association. I'm in a CSP. So mm-hmm. I don't have a literary agent. I went through the back door. Most people have got to go through this, this rigmarole to get, uh, get a book deal. I, I approached one company and I talked to one editor and they jumped on it. How? Because I'm a high ranking NSA member in the National Speaker Association. So they have like book labs and things like that. So I wrote my book probably about five and a half years ago. So maybe six years ago, I went to one NSA book lab. The editor of Wiley Publisher is there. I, I told him the idea. And what I, here's what I could do. I could have built, I could have wrote, written a book for my base, which is automotive. But publishers don't care about that book, you know, because it's too small of a niche market car dealerships. So I was thinking, okay, what book can I get to, can I write to become famous? I need a book that's going to get me in the bookstores to get me like in Barnes and Noble. And so I projected and manifested. I wanted to do a book tour. I wanted to have my book inside Barnes and Nobles, inside Hudson booksellers. So I picked a subject that I was very, very gifted at that was universally sound for any vertical. So hence, win the game of Googleopoly. To fast forward, I did a book tour. If you go to YouTube, you'll find the video and your listeners can find a video uh, where I was in Fifth Avenue in Barnes & Noble, which is the number one business books. I mean, the number one bookstore in the United States is Fifth Avenue Barnes & Noble. And they had a big blow up 
of my cover of my book in the window. I had, you know, people flying from all parts of the country for my book signing. I got the whole video of this. I was in Chicago and Boston, all over the country with the book tour. And then it was in the Hudson booksellers and all the airports. And then I was spinning the propaganda, you know, because then all my people, I made them, you know, like whoever read the book, I posted online. And then it was like, everybody was like with a Googleopoly book, which the cover is this, it looks like it's the Monopoly board. So people felt stupid, like, oh my God, why don't I have this book? You know, and it's funny because some, you know, most people don't even read books who you give books to and who they buy books. They buy them because it's like a business card on steroids. So some of the people are just buying the book because it was Sean Bradley or somebody in the industry that they knew or what have you. But the book is pretty advanced on digital marketing. So that's the, the, you know, the book story side of things. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. I got a bunch of companies, but I it take me like half the interview just to list all the companies. So yeah, yeah. and you were <laughs> going to talk about your wife. Yes. Okay. So this is kind of crazy. So uh, first of all, this is why I am the world's best closer for sales. People think you know it's not just car sales. I sold my wife to Dream, so I closed her on the deal with with her being my wife. No, I'm only kidding. So she is a queen. She's absolutely brilliant, but she has had a lot of tumultuous you know, experiences in her life. She was homeless as a kid when her dad went to prison for three years himself, you know, drugs and stuff. And, you know, she got pregnant when she was 16. So she was a single teen mom, you know, even through that though, except that's the adversity side, but she never did anything criminal. She doesn't smoke cigarettes, doesn't do drugs. She doesn't even drink. She's, she's ultra conservative when it comes to those things, but she was the prom queen. She was the class president and she uh, got a full scholarship to Drexel university uh, for pre-med. Uh, she did three years. She dropped out. She got a, an accounting gig. And then, you know, it's funny when, when we met, I've refused to let her be part of my company because I just got out of, out of uh, marriage and I, I swore that I would never get married again. I would never have any kids. Yeah. Fast forward. She's now the CEO of my company that I founded for the record. And we have two boys together. Uh, yeah. So who closed to uh, anyway? So, but I was really careful. My wife, already had money because she had multiple jobs. You know, she was, you know, a bookkeeper and she was, she was cashed up when I met her. And so she, she wanted in, in my, in, in my industry and I, I refused and she, and she gave me an offer that I couldn't refuse on some gangster ish. She said, I'll work for free. And I thought I was going to break her. She worked for one full month for free. And then I felt guilty. I was like, all right, I, I, I give up. You win. You were an asset. And I, I, I got I to gotta put you on payroll now. And so we have literally been together for 14 years and she's practically worked with me for 14 years. She started at the very bottom. She's my greatest success story. But here's the crazy part. After, you know, several years of us building the business together, because I had it three years before I met her um, in 2009. Remember, I founded the company in 2004. And so in 2009, we we're making millions of dollars. And I said to my wife, what do you want to do, honey? And she's like, you know what? I want to get back into modeling because she used to model when she was younger. I was like, all right. So go do your thing. And so she got her own gig with this company called Platinum Camp Productions. So they're pretty big in the entertainment industry, especially like in the hip hop industry. So she was a video vixen. She was uh, an extra on a reggae legends. This is this is good for your podcast. Watch this. So this is like, this is facts, you know. And I actually interviewed the director who I'm going to say to validate the story. She was an extra on a reggae legend, Barrington Levy. And you like, this is a reggae legend, you know, he, he's a legend, legend, like legend, right? So she's an extra on this video called No War. She rolls up in a Mercedes GL 450, not like a basic chick at all. 
And so, but she carried herself classy, not like a thirsty chick or what have you. And, you know, the director, Caesar Gustus, approached her like, okay, girl, you know, what's your deal? You're not like these other girls there. She's like, no, no, no. You know, I've got a bunch of companies, but, you know, I just want to get back into modeling. And so she's a boss chick. She pitches the director, you know, on what we're doing after the one music video, we have a joint meeting. We want to buy in 25% of Augustus Films. So we bought 25% of a major video production company that was doing stuff with Asher Roth, with Scooter Braun, okay, with Justin Bieber, with Carrie Helson, all this stuff. That was our company, you know, Augustus Films. Google it, right? And uh, it, was, it was a share uh, like split. Like we own 25% of Augustus Films. We also gave him... I think it was 20% of Karina Bradley Inc. And we were helping Augustus Films and he was helping in the artist development and the music video uh, for the Karina Bradley. So we blew, the, this is how I got my book deal. So we blew Karina Bradley up and within six, strike that, within three years, we took an unknown recording artist that was never ever in recording studio to having over 60 million views, 11 major music videos with Meek Mill, Remy Ma, Papoose, Young Chris, Larry T, uh, the Style TV Network, uh, T and Tamara Show licensed her, her, one of her tracks, Dance for Diva. She's performed in front of 16 million people on Eminem, Shea 45, over a million people on uh, Emmy Award winning uh, Talk Philly in Philadelphia. And that's my wife, you know, she's a, and what's crazy about projecting my two favorite hip hop artists are Papoose for old school. Cause I'm 40 something. Right. And then Meek Mill for, for new school. And she's got tracks, official music videos and, and tracks with these amazing artists. And we, we've kept in touch with all these people. So yeah, she's a beast herself. Yeah. Love that. So I'd say your life has turned out a lot different than you would have planned. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. My best part is my favorite part of my life, man, to talk about is, is my, my wife and the kids, you know, cause I, I never grew up with um, a dad, you know, so I'm living vicariously through my kids, man. I'm, I'm like having a ball and I'm doing stuff that I'm from the projects in Queens, you know, like I used to take like public transportation to school as a kid. And for me to be able to, this is true story. I got video footage of this. I took my, my kids are gamers. So I'm able, I, I've created them because I have a whole digital team. So they have their own personas, games, Slayer Sean and Xander Zoolander. They've got their own YouTube channels and I pulled them out of school and my nephew. So my two sons, my nephew a couple of years ago and one of my employees, one of my video production people, and we just jumped on an airplane from Jersey to Texas to go to South by Southwest with one of my camera crew following us and recording the entire thing. Like, I mean, like it's a rock star life. And you said you, you worked in Beverly Hills, right? Yeah. Listen yeah. to me, we shop at Dior in Beverly Hills. My my girl, his name is Han. They shut the door when we go in and it's like, you know, a minimum of ten to $20,000 shopping sprees, you know, at the, at the house of Dior. So again, and that's from Jersey. We just fly to Beverly Hills just to go shopping. So that's a big difference from, from being my old life. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. So I'd say that the thing that I'm the most proud of is that I have been with my wife for, you know, for 14 years, we have like these four amazing kids. My eldest daughter, Tiana, you know, I, I joke around call her the heiress because she's a beast. She spent two and a half years selling cars and she just joined the family business in September. My younger daughter, the middle child, Kalina, she just started selling cars. But I, I want to also let people know that are listening is that if this is not just a, a story where like I, I was through some stuff, like every day is a struggle. 
Like, you know, like I've got ups and downs, like today itself, like, you know, I don't mind sharing this. I got a phone call that I'm, I'm having issues. I own a commercial property. It was flooding again. I'm trying to do a hundred thousand uh, dollar studio, a TV studio uh, in the basement of my office, but I can't do that because we're having flooding issues. So I'm fighting with the town, not fighting yet, but I'm about to, I'm probably going to have to, you know, sue the township of Autobahn because they're saying, oh, it's not the town, but the, the plumbers are saying it is. So I'm just letting people know things are not just cake because you're successful. And I'm going to change the tone to share something because this is serious right here. Four years ago, my ex-wife, who I battled with for since my, since my daughter was 10 months old, my daughter's 20 years old now. So four years ago, my ex-wife committed suicide and she left me and my daughter, who was 15 years old at the time, you know, just devastated and, and more so my daughter because a child that has a parent that's, you know, committed suicide is four times as likely to take their own life. So on top of all the other drama and trauma that I've been through, I, I have to live on a daily basis that, that the woman that I married, you know, my ex-wife, at one point, I love this woman more than anything else in the world, ended her life because, you know, she had her own demons she was trying to deal with. And I only bring this up and I hope my daughter doesn't hear this because it breaks her heart when I even talk about this, but I want your people to know that success isn't pretty. Success doesn't mean that you're going to have uh, like, you know, you're cleared. It's not like I, I suffered and okay, I get out of, I get out of suffering past the rest of my life. It's how you deal with situations. It's easy when, when, when things are good to be happy and to be positive and to be successful. It's much harder when stuff hits the fan and you're thrown with adversities and challenges, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's COVID, whether it's suicide or it's divorce or whatever it is. I've had a, I had to bury my friend's 10-year-old son for pediatric cancer. So I'm on the board of his foundation, Paulie Strong, out of Sloan Kettering Memorial. And the other thing I, I want to let you ask some questions, but I want to just share because I don't know how much time we got is the kid, the ex-gang member. Uh, ex-convict has a foundation called help because you can, I've donated over $1 million cash to 47 different, you know, charities and people. Uh, and in addition to the cash, I, I put my resources, whether it's my time, it's my staff, it's marketing in addition to the cash to try to help as many people as I can. And that's why me and my wife is my wife's idea, by the way, help because you can, people should help because they can hence help because you can.com. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you, what do you do to keep your mental health okay? A bunch of things. One is I've been in martial arts for 30 years. Okay. I train in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So it is the absolute best thing because you could choke the shit out of somebody without getting in trouble for it. You know what I mean? So because jujitsu is unlike karate because uh, you, how do I say this? In karate, there's forms and you hit the air, you know, and maybe you spar, but in jujitsu, you're going 110 all the time. There's no holding back. So when you're putting a submission, a choke, a throw on, like you're, you're not pulling anything. You're going full force until somebody submits or taps out or what, what have you. So for me, I train with world champion athletes. I train at a balance studios in Philadelphia with, with fifth, fifth degree, a house and Gracie black belt, Ricardo McLaurice, six degree house and Gracie black belt, Phil McLaurice. These are like lineage, like under Helio Gracie, the, the grandmaster that passed away is Helson Gracie. And under Helson, it's these guys. And uh, again, I choose to drive 45 minutes to 55 minutes a week. And I've been doing private lessons with these guys for 14 years. They're very close friends of mine and I love them to death because it, it, on the mats, 
it doesn't matter who you are. They, they train the FBI, they train the Marines, they train the Philadelphia Eagles, they train Bernard Hopkins, like boxer, they train, they don't care if I'm multimillionaire, they don't care if I'm, I got, I got a national radio show on the mats, they, you know what I mean? Like they're the rock stars, you know what I'm saying? So, and it's just, it's just cool. So that's a big part of me not like losing my shit because people drive me crazy all the time is I, I hit the jujitsu mats. That's one thing. Second is I am constantly enveloped with, with, uh, like love because in the secret the laws of attraction is not just the it's not just thinking success or happiness it's feeling it and when i'm around my wife and my kids and my pugs i feel happy when my when i when i'm with my my sons and my daughters i i feel good and the endorphins kick in so i would say enveloping myself and surrounding myself with people that i love being around and then it's constantly my mind never stops i'm always thinking and I'm always, you know, like plotting, you know, the next hustle, the next legally, of course, now, you know what I mean? But that's, that's what I do. Do you have a time that you felt so alone? Do you, do you go to therapy? Do you meditate? Do you? You mean now or then? I mean, I'm never. Uh, no, no, no. We'll say now. You have kids. You have four kids. I know you're not alone. <laughs> I have kids. I, I privacy's gone. Homeschooling. Are you kidding? No, I, I know. Never, I know. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I, you know what it is. I would say. You don't want to feel feel the the, the you most. You can feel alone, surrounded by people. Not my family. Like <laughs> we are very close. Like we are very, very close. And so, you know, when I feel alone the most, which I, I and I don't use hate a lot, but I hate this especially, you know, 17 years into being an entrepreneur is when I travel. And so like, that is my, my, my point that I absolutely hate the most, but it's a necessary part of being an entrepreneur is when I travel, even for these, like I charge a lot of money to go to these dealers. So it's worth it. You know what I mean? That's the cost, but going to these hotels, I don't care if I'm in, if I got suites, I don't care if I'm a first class. I don't care. I've had clients charter, you know, uh, you know, private planes for me and stuff like that. I, you think about, try to think about that. You, you live and work with your spouse almost all the time. So to be gone for a couple of days, uh, you know, my wife sometimes thinks that, you know, I have it easy because I get a break and she's holding down everything, the companies, the kids, the dogs, everything like that. But I say that, you know, she's got it made because she's around like all of our people. So I'd say that fills feel, you up. Right. Yeah. When I, when I'm, when I travel and what I do is I distract myself, I, I, I work more or, I'm on Netflix or I'm on Clubhouse and, and I try to keep busy. Yeah. So no, I don't do therapy. I, I, I just, you know, not because I'm against it. I just, part of it is I'm too busy to do therapy. I don't have time to be going through stuff. And a lot of the things I do are therapeutic, you know, and I understand that. So like, for example, this morning motivation that I do on Clubhouse now, I, believe it or not, it's therapy for me. You know, I'm able to, Covey says, you know, that people that, that learn with the knowledge that they have to teach it, you know, have a higher retention to the information, a higher utilization. So it's an exercise for me. I, I, I'm doing these money motivations. It's therapeutic because it ingrains it more in my psyche. It ingrains it more for, for me to be conscious, to make better decisions. You know what I mean? So that's my therapy. Yeah, I absolutely do know what you mean. Do you have a message of hope that you would want to give? To the listeners. Absolutely. A hundred percent is, is this, I have a couple degrees of, of message of hope. One is that don't let your past define you, you know, whether you are a victim of whatever it is, you know, I mean, the most horrific things, violence, abuse, prison, whatever, you've got to let it go. There is nothing 
at all beneficial of carrying that stigma or carrying that pain with you. It's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. Why don't people lift weights? Cause it's freaking heavy. I get it. If everybody could release their, their past traumas, every, there'd be a lot more millionaires and happy people out there. I get that. But you know, the host just asked me, Lauren just asked me, you know, what, what message is, is let it go. I never once ever let being an ex-convict stop me, okay? I've never once let an ex-gang member stop me, that title. I never let being a poor person from the project, I never let being a college dropout, I never, 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 never let any of that crap stop me. And, and I affect hundreds of thousands of people right now. And once this episode airs on Vice TV, I will be influencing millions of millions of people. So again, if if I let that get in my head, I would never be able to do what I do and impact the people that I do. So that's the first big part of this. And then second is of hope is that you need to take a step back in and be clear, hyper clear of what you want, not what you don't want. Okay. You need to understand what it is that you truly want and, and really not just visualize it, internalize it. If it's being a great person, spouse, a great parent, a great, you know, friend, a great leader, an entrepreneur, whatever it is, make sure that you are crystal clear on what that mission, vision, goal is. And then don't stop there. Most people have vague goals, but what you need to be able to do is reverse engineer with clinical precision, with GPS precision, exactly how you're going to get there. And if you don't know how, you better figure it out. Fitfo, figure it the fudge out, or you could change that last step for something else. Yeah, that is so great. Thank you so much for being a guest today, Sean, on 52 Weeks of Hope. I think those were fabulous messages of hope. And the Fitgo was, uh, yeah, that was good. Fit foe. Absolutely. Fit foe. Figure, it, figure it the F out. Yes. Fudge out. You could use fudge yeah. or you could use something else, but listen, yeah. thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate you spending time with me and I hope that I provided some type of, uh, you know, value besides just entertainment to your people. Oh, you definitely did. You, you brought both <laughs> and thank more. You so much. I, so I very much appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Sean's messages of change because that's clearly possible after listening to Sean's episode, being intentional and industry. Hard work in the right direction can clearly get us anywhere. Be sure to tune in next week for visionary leader, minister, and coach, Lakita Monley. Lakita talks about overcoming such hardships as teen pregnancy, living abroad as a military wife, and surviving naysayers who want to pull you down after you start living your dream and your purpose. She discusses how to be intentional. She really is amazing and a fabulous spirit. She's created a nonprofit in Africa, and she's as uplifting as can be, talking about living your dreams now, not putting them on the back burner. She lets you know precisely how to do just that, how to put yourself in the mix and not get lost about being truly intentional for what it is that you're meant to do and be while you're here living on this planet. I have a free ebook, How to Be Your Best Self Now, as simple exercises designed to help you get up, stay engaged and do what you truly want to do in order to better serve the world and build yourself up. 
Nothing hard, just a few simple tools laid at your feet to get moving and be your best self now. That's on the website, 52weeksofhope.com. Be sure to also go to the website, give me your feedback. I'd love to know what you thought of this week's episode. I just love Shad Bradley episode. I love talking to him. Um, you'll love Lakita next week also. If you're on Clubhouse, be sure to visit me. I've got rooms on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And also I'll be starting a daily quick uplifting start to our day with daily motivation, gratitudes, and what is it you're trying to manifest room every morning. Just a quick 15 minute uplifting start. If you're not on Clubhouse and you'd like to get on there, I've got a bunch of free invites. Just again, go to the website, 52weeksofhope.com. Please remember to follow the podcast, leave us a positive review, tell a couple of your friends and send us feedback on the website, 52weeksofhope.com. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.